previous discussion, we were uh, talking about, you know, the idea of who's an Arab, um, Arab nationalism, the, the idea that in the Middle East, not everyone who speaks Arabic is an Arab, right? Culturally, that may be how they identify. They may, you know, declare themselves an Arab just because they speak it, they listen to certain music types, um, you know, and, and the broader, I guess you could say, aspects of the culture may permeate their lives. And so, you know, they would make that claim. But historically, we know that the Middle East is a very diverse place. People who, you know, lived in, you know, far reaches of West, um, the country Syria, you know, may have had Aramean or Phoenician ancestry at the historical level, right? You know, or you go further to the East, they may have had an Assyrian ancestry, whatever that may have meant, because that's its own set of um, interesting identity, formative, um, well, uh, problems. It's not a problem, but um, historically very interesting for that community. And so you have these, you know, people who grow up speaking Arabic, and then, you know, you have people who are Arabs. So what's, what's an, what's an Arab? What's an Arab? And, you know, like paint, paint a broad picture, right? Like going from the Arabized, um, we could call them, right? We're both speaking English, right? But we're not from England. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm probably out of the two of us. I, I have some um, ancestry from the British Isles, you know, but like, uh, mostly like I'm, I'm not from, from there. And so, uh, or at least genetically. Right. And so here we are speaking English. What does it mean to be an Arab? What, you know, did it mean at different times? And, you know, how can we, how can we, how should we think of, I don't want to be pejorative, but real Arabs, you know, like yeah. uh, people yeah. maybe who have a different claim to that identity. It's a good question. Um, so I think, and you would probably know more than me about this regarding when you first see the term. I, I think it's in Persian or Assyrian Babylonian uh, texts where you first see the term used about the people who are living in the peninsula or like people who are coming from there, kind of roaming around. Um, and then, you know, later in, in antiquity, they begin to use Tayai, uh, like the the, uh, that's the name wander. of the tribe, right? That's the name of yeah, the tribe. Yeah. And so, but I think they used it to mean like wandering, these wandering uh, clans of, of people from the peninsula or so they, because they used it for all of us, not just for the Benitai. Yeah. So, and that's not uncommon too. I mean, you like how many different ways do we refer to Germany, right? Like we in English are using the term Caesar used, you know, when he was crawling up through Gaul, you know, and um, they're encountering the, the Germani tribes. Yeah. The uh, others, yeah. Right. <laughs> and so now we call them, you know, Germania is all that place for those people who they, um, they speak that Germanic sort of <laughs> language or whatever those things were. They lived in certain types of huts, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, well, other people, they refer to Allemand, you know, right? What's yeah. Aleman? Well, these people, you go into the heartland, they call themselves Deutsch, yeah. the Deutsch, and it's the Deutschlands, right? Yeah. And so yeah. 
um, you know, referring to Arabs as such, it's an interesting question in antiquity, you know, they're identifying it with a tribe, but then you go further on, you know, does it mean something else? The word? Yeah. Yeah. We do the same thing with the Greeks, like Yonan, uh, we call them and after the Ionian one moment, please. It's all good. All right. After the Ionian, uh, Ionian, did somebody say Ionian? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So we call them, we call them all Yonan. Um, uh, so, uh, sorry, I lost my, my train of thought. Um, okay. Antiquity, so, yeah. yeah. So the term, the term Arabs, uh, I don't know what the etymology is for the term. Uh, I've heard like many different options of what it could be, but I'm not sure what, what the, where the, the, or, the origin of the word comes from. There's like the you know, the oral tradition that comes from Arabs themselves or um, whether it's in the culture it exists, but also in their books, whether it's the Old Testament or the Quran, uh, both have this kind of view that, uh, like among the Arabs, I mean, where they, they will interpret their origins to be from two, two branches, if you will. Till today, they have this idea that uh, there's the original Arabs who are from Yemen. They're the descendants of Qahtan, who was okay. mentioned in the Bible by name. Uh, and then from his descendants, you get the Ezd, the great Ezd tribe. And from this tribe, you have all of these Yemeni tribes that come from them that are famous throughout history. Um, and these tribes that they, they, um, they change everything. And then from the other branch, you have the, the, the Arabized Arabs before Arabization. So you have uh, Abraham, who was from Ur, with Hajar, the Kaf, the Egyptian. And yeah. then Ish, uh, they have Ishmael. Ishmael has children. One of his children, his name is Adnan. So Adnan is the father of Quraysh and the Hijazi tribes and the Najdi tribes, which we went over the, on the last episode of, of uh, these, where these regions are. So the, this is uh, the lesser Arabs or the less historic ones that are also considered Arabs now, but it's known that originally the Qahtanis are Arabs and these guys became Arabs. Um, uh, that that is all different from, um, I guess you could say, Nabataeans or uh, Palmyrenes, and then and then obviously later on, um, I don't know, some random urban Damascene kid who just happens to speak Arabic and doesn't have a tribe, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, so it's a and North Africa, it. For them, in 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 most cases, it doesn't count unless there's there's a tribal association mm. for th- that they would be Arabs. Otherwise, that I think Anwar Sadat even um, agreed that we are probably not Arabs as Former Egyptians. President of Egypt, right? Yeah. Um. So. Uh, it's it's hard to know anything. It's just oral truth. I, I got in an argument with Armenians the other day 
about they were trying to say that all the surai are Armenian. And surai and, is a, a reference to Aramaic speaking Christians um, in the Middle East. Yeah. And, and 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 they were saying, to be fair, they were also saying, and all the Armenians are Surai. We just happen to speak two different languages. And I was saying, good luck telling all the Armenians and all the Surai this information, and see what they will <laughs> see what they will say to you. Because <laughs> maybe maybe in genetics they have something to show for what they're saying, but it doesn't matter anymore because. Um, there was a scholar who wrote, um, he wrote uh, something about Orientalism and the Arab identity. I can't remember his name. Uh, so uh, he said, at the end of the day, because he, he brought up Gaul and he brought up the Franks and he gave all these examples in, in different parts of, of the world. He says, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. It only matters whatever the person says he is. Mm. What is his opinion on what he is? Because you can't force someone, let's say this Armenian guy who wants to say he's Suraya. I can't force him to say he's Armenian. If right. he wants to say Suraya, that's it. Like, what can I do? Your name is Harut. <laughs> <laughs> Babarian. Yeah. You know? I don't know. It's, it's <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it's interesting in, in the case of the Armenians, that's its own episode with historical Armenian formation, you know, um, and there the language is so wildly different, right? Like in the Middle East, you've got people who formerly spoke Aramaic. Aramaic was the big language, the Middle East for a thousand years, you know, and, and longer, you know, but at least since the time of the Neo-Assyrian Empire um, and their expansion, they, they really, they used Aramaic to communicate across borders and to unite peoples who otherwise were um, not united. You know, they were their own local sort of entities. And then, you know, you see the Persians picking up that language and, um, you know, whether it was the way that Akkadian speakers probably transitioned to Aramaic at a certain point in time, Akkadians, another Semitic language, Aramaic is very similar um, and to things like Hebrew, Phoenician, and then Arabic, right? They're all part of the same language family. So it's almost, it's easier to envision how someone gets Arabized from an Aramaic speaking background than, you know, that Armenian is just wildly different. It's not even the same language family. The roots are different. I think I've counted maybe five or six common words, you know, based on what I know of the two languages between Aramaic and Armenian. Um, it's not many, but like Arabic and Aramaic can almost be mutually intelligible if you're educated in the, the, the proper or at least the standardized form of communication and you're literate, right? And you can, you can read things because you're reading yeah. common roots yeah. You know, but once it's spoken, then, you know, it diverges and then diverges wildly. But um, all that to say, at least it's part of a similar language family. It's also, it's, it also shares, they also, the, the two groups there, they also share um, this like same or similar geography. They're, they've been neighbors for so long. They've, uh, they have similar cultures in that, like, 
Yeah, especially like especially before Aramaic people, Aramaic speaking people were um, also semi nomadic in some cases. Yeah, and so they would there would be a lot of sometimes even I think there's a there's some scripts on stones near the Jordanian Saudi border today uh, with it's it's probably from the Nabataean civilization, yeah. but I think I think some of the scholars aren't even sure if this is Arabic or Aramaic. They can't distinguish between if it's Proto-Arabic, if it's Aramaic. Uh, in some cases, or some cases, it's mixed. Like the one of them will have both together. In in I was uh, there's this thing on BBC uh, called Wild Arabia. It's a it's a documentary. It goes over uh, this. So it was showing like. Um, I'm not like they, they were making it sound like it's unsure when the divergence happens into where they exist truly as two separate languages. Um, so I think the, the kinship is a lot closer, not uh, linguistically and, and a lot of other ways than let's say the Caucasian people, you know? And it's, a, I mean, the, the idea of, two things, language and then geography, mm. you know, um, language doesn't necessarily make someone something right. Again, yeah. we're both speaking English. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Well, you know, I, I think back to what you said about the, you know, the, the Qahdani, these really far South, you know, Arabs, and then the others who sort of took on a similar um, and by extension, same identity, right. Um, the Aznani, is that what mm -hmm. you called them? And so these different groups, it, it, they're, some of them are closer to Aramaic speakers than others. Um, presumably, they're mobile societies, right? And those who are closer, it makes me wonder, you know, are there certain, is it fair to call Nabataeans a type of Arab, but definitely not a Qahdani Arab? Right, but they're a type of some kind, you know. And mm -hmm. I think even into um, just look linguistically at a place like uh, Edessa, Urhoi, or you know, modern day Urfa. That's all the way up in Turkey, past the Syrian border. Right, go through Syria and cross over into um, that part of South Central Turkey, and the names of the kings sounded at least in terms of the language and the way they look at inscription, they would be on the side of the shift that we would call Arabic, right? Mm -hmm. Now, their language, not necessarily, but the names that they, mm -hmm. they bore. And so it makes you wonder who's settling where and is language a part of that thing? Um, and, and maybe what we're talking about is a spectrum, right? A, a spectrum of... That what yeah. it means to be an Arab. And there's, um, you know, within that, however many tribes, how, how many tribes are there? You know, I mean, at least past uh, versus present versus, you know, is that a fair even way of classifying it? Because I know some tribes you don't hear about anymore, but maybe you, we read about them at different points in history, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and we we don't... So Ishmael is obviously the, the, the famous one that people like to go to when they're like trying to figure out the, the origins of these tribes, but like the, the Abraham, the Abrahamic ones, at least. But 
There's also his other kids. He had like Midian, for example, you know, the Midianites, they weren't Arabs proper, but they had the same lifestyle mm. or, and you would know more about the Ammonites and the Edomites. And I'm guessing it's probably the same thing too. I'm not sure. Um, but it's like, where do, where does this, like it, for, for, uh, for a lot of Arabs, they will just kind of uh, generalize and say, oh, they, they were Arabs, just if they hear like how they were living and, and things like that and where they live. But it's like, is, it's hard. You, you used like a, a good, a good um, term you, or word. You said with a shift in the names of the, the Edessan kings, the shift is Arabic. So it's like there's this shift of we're barely able to kind of make these distinctions we're we're guessing you know and uh and like you said the the like classical the fusha uh, arabic and fusha syriac when i was learning from you that syriac i was telling you like if you know arabic fusha you can understand this and i've tested it with muslims that i've taught the syriac alphabet to and, and i will have them read to me a sentence and tell me what it means. Right. Yeah. Uh, so it it uh, it's hard. It's hard to find where the distinction happens. Yeah. So when you know we we think of the um, the Arab, I'm calling them Arabized, but let's exclude the Arabized folks from the conversation mm. and let's talk in terms of tribe um mm. how do arabs historically or maybe even today how do they structure themselves are they confederations are they you know is it how prevalent is tribal identity let's say um you know if people are mobile they're moving around you know they live yeah. one minute you know in in Jeddah, the next minute they move to um, Dubai or something, right? Like, how is identity maintained? How is, how does it work in terms of? Because I know confederation and tribe and things like that. Those are they're almost political conversations in a way, but they're they're more than that though. They're family conversations, right? There are ways in which families are organized and and people who have common um, identity, you know may affiliate um maybe we call them clans in some case I, I what's the structure like and, and how does the operation typically work so it's difficult now because of borders and um because of settling the bedu it's become difficult to for that to function most most are non-functional uh now especially in the urbanized areas, which are the most populated. Um, but in the deserts, in the rural areas, yeah, it's still possible. Um, for example, Bani Wa'il uh, in Basra, they are Shia. Bani Wa'il in, in Najd, they're Sunnah. So how's that going to work? Um, and they're, they're, they have two different uh, nationalities now. And... Um, I don't even think the Basra side of it like has their own sheikh. I think that it's only in the Najd side. 
and that's because the Basra side of them are all urbanized in the the city of Basra, whereas in Najd they still have some Bedouin components, mm. so they need it. Um, I it, this is one example of many in in certain areas, like especially in the peninsula, you will have a country coincidentally uh, like having the entire tribe within a, within a border. So in that case, it's easy to function, uh, especially when they're all the same denomination and and um, the the way that the government is run. If it's a monarchy, um, it's it's uh, it's beneficial for the sheikh to to run his tribe to then coordinate with the monarch or with the government accordingly, like Jordan tries to do. But again, there's a lot of cross border issues sometimes. Um, so, but in the republics, not only is it, is it, uh, very difficult, it, the, the governments of the republics tried hard, like Saddam wouldn't let the tribes put their names on their IDs anymore. Um, and I think, I don't know how Bashar al-Assad runs things, but I don't think East Syria are fans of his because they're the tribal ones. Um, and so this makes it easy for things like ISIS to come uh, run amok uh, in these in these parts. Now Iraq, I heard, um, it's getting back to a little bit of tribalism, uh, but I don't know if that is sustainable because the direction in which the young people want the country to go is not that. So it's kind of like, here's this power vacuum Saddam left. The government can't even fill it. That's how much it was. That now you have all these local tribes and militias trying to trying to make up for that. But that's a, I think that's a short-term Band-Aid kind of thing. And it won't last. I think the last vestiges are, are the peninsula and the rural areas of, of Jordan and, and Syria. And that's it. Yeah. What and when it comes to the peninsula, right? Like the peninsula is a big place. Yeah. And it has its own um, geographical configuration, right? You've got people who are Gulf, you know, Khaliji Arabs. You've got uh, Hijazi on the other side, you know, close to the Red Sea, and um, you know everything down in you know, what would be the far South, right? The South Arabians. Um, are we, when we look at things like, the, let's say the Gulf, are we looking at certain tribes? Or are we looking at confederations that run the show? In the Emirates case, it's confederations, just by the name. Yeah. Uh, and, United uh, Arab Emirates, sure. Yeah. And uh, Saudi, it's like, not a confederation. It's like a submission of the of the tribes to one mm. tribe. And um, Kuwait and Jordan are interesting because it's not a submission. It's a it's a cooperation, but it's also like not just a cooperation, but you're here because of us. Like we have your back. So the the monarchs in these areas are very careful to appease them because that is their support um 
uh, Yemen, it's like it's a bunch of tribes without a head, and that's mm-hmm. why you see the situation. Uh, in Oman, Oman, I think it's the same like uh, Jordan and Kuwait. Um, uh, Bahrain is interesting because the majority there is Shia, and the monarch is Sunni, uh, who has historically been. Uh, like very tolerant of Shia, very friendly with Iran, but in recent times, um, because Iran has wanted a Shia revolution there, so the monarch has been forced to kind of sway towards the Saudis instead. Yeah. What about the, you know, we had previously talked in another podcast about the, the Arabs in Iran. Right, those who live in the southwest, you know, near the Kuwaiti Iraqi um, southern, the where Mesopotamia meets the yeah. Persian Gulf. And um, Ka'ab, sons of the heel, sons of the heel. Okay, heel, Ka'ab, yeah. Um, like, <laughs> is the it heel like, of a shoe? Was it one tribe? Is it you know? Uh, that's that's the that's the the leaders. Like that's the sheikh who like like how. The Emir of Kuwait is from the Sabah family, so th- that's who their tr- their leading tribe was. The Kaab family, yeah. The the tribe goes over the. It's not just there. There's you find them in Iraq too, or in Kuwait. You find that tribe. Yeah. Do we find um, do we find linguistic borders? Do we find dialectical borders between different tribes? Can I identify someone? Tribally, yes. Uh, geographically, I don't think so. Um, so, like for example, there's Hawaitat in South Jordan, North Saudi Arabia, on the Hajazi side, the coastal side. They they were big in the Arab Revolt. Um, I've met Hawaitis from both sides of the border who speaks who speak identical to each other, uh, but it's different than um whether jordanians in those parts or saudis in those parts who are not from that tribe so it's unique to the tribe um and the same for uh iraqis and kuwaitis in some cases where you'll have uh, iraqis from uh, like a tribe that overlaps and then an iraqi is also not pronoun- or pronouncing the jim as a ya like the kuwaiti does in that situation, or a Kuwaiti pronouncing the jim instead of the ya, uh, which is not what normally what Kuwaitis would do. Um, so it depends. It depends on the tribe. Absolutely, I got. I made. I made Saudis argue with each other once. I was in. When I was working in England. I was like, uh, "Do you guys use? Uh, we there's something we call it noon al nisa, which is the the feminine noon for plural." Um, do you guys use it colloquially? I asked. So then, and I, I, I went in with a hypothesis that they're going to tell me no, because I have never heard them use it. So, uh, so then they all say no, except for one guy. I can't remember his tribe, but there was one guy who's like, what do you mean? No, of course we use it. How are you going to, you're going to call a bunch of girls. You're going to speak to them in the masculine. And then, and then they're like, yeah, that's how we talk. He's like, for girls, he's shocked. This out. He's shocked that the rest of them are saying this. And he happens to be, I, I remember the area he's from. I don't remember the tribe. So he happens to be on the east coast of, of Saudi Arabia near the Iraqi border. 
So then it made sense to me why he's saying this, because that's how Iraqis from that area also use it. Um, so I think that, but, but there were other Saudis from also the East Coast that were from different tribes that don't do that. But they do other things that Iraqis do that this guy doesn't um, with the language. Like, for example, uh, the, the word for a bucket. Um, Gulf Arabs, because of the Portuguese occupation that most people don't know about, uh, they use the Portuguese word for bucket till now. Um, but no other Arab does that. No one else, though. Like even if you go to Baghdad or places that are not too far away, they don't even know those words. It's just those specific like Basra, Kuwait and the Saudi coast there. Um the, the, the Portuguese word for bucket. Um, apparently, not all the tribes were coastal, so then they didn't get that word. They're still using the Arabic one. And I think even now it's a little bit dated because when Iraqis are coming coming here and I'm still using the Portuguese word, and <laughs> what is that? What are you saying? But when I say it with Saudis from the Gulf in that, that area, they'll be like, yeah, we know what that is. Yeah, yeah I mean, I think, um, you know, the... What's fascinating for a lot of our studies, and it, it, this goes back to the ancient world, uh, is the geography is often an interesting reflection of the language. And so for me, when I think of geography, I think of mobility when it comes to these populations. Because, you know, do we have, when it comes to, to Arabs, do we have very sedentary Arabs? Or are all of them mobile? Or at least, you know, is there, and with that, are there distinctions like there were in, in terms of the ancient distinction between the, the Qahtani in the south and the Adnani in the middle, right? Like what determines, um, well, I, I guess I should just ask, you know, in terms of mobility. I mean, are, because I think what I'm trying to figure out is, you know, and this applies to things like the Nabataean question, or even the Arameans, for example, in, in ancient history, they were mobile, right? And it was that mobility that made their language widely understood, which was the reason why it, it was reasonable for the Assyrian Empire to adopt, because it already had, by virtue of the mobility of the community, it had spread. You know, it had moved in ways that say Phoenician may have moved if you're talking about Tunisia and Lebanon, right? Like, you know, there's Punic colonies and places all over. Um, other Canaanite dialects, Hebrew included in those. Uh, where's it going to be? It's not going to, it might be more trapped, you know, along the Levantine coastline, whereas the Arameans historically had moved around to such a degree that it made sense to use that language, you know, in, in terms of your administration of an empire. Okay. Well, that being the case is mobility a key feature of, uh, of what it meant at that period to be, you know, considered Aramean, um, could they, I mean, they, we do know there were cities, there's Damascus, right? You know, there was these smaller regions in the West, 
um, that weren't necessarily imperial, but they're important cities. So when it comes to the, the Arab tribes, whether they're the South Arabians or the, you know, mid-region, um, do we see something similar, you know, when it comes to mobility? I think that, um, so Yemen and to a lesser degree, Oman, they were, they were said, uh, they were settled. They were Hadar, we call them. Uh, they weren't Bedouin. So they would look on the rest of the peninsula uh, like condescendingly, they would they would see them as nothing, a bunch of like nomadic roamers, you know, because in Yemen and and again lesser degree Oman, uh, they were like and and they were very they would consider themselves Arabs, especially in Yemen, and the Romans even called them Arabs. Uh, Felix, I think, uh, yeah, Arabia uh, Felix, yeah, and. Um, so uh, the, I don't think being Bedouin is essential to the Arab identity, but I think the Bedouin are, were intentional about it. It's not like, because you know how maybe, uh, maybe in, the, in the beginning of this, it was out of necessity. Like in the, for example, the case of the Ghassasina, Bani Ghassan, the Ma'rab yeah. Dan broke the dam, the, it broke, so they went uh, up north. But um, uh, now, like in, for example, um, it used to be that in the Hashemite kings or, or the Saudi kings or these guys, when, when they would have a son, I think he'd get to like 10 years old or I don't remember how, how, how old, they would intentionally send him to the Bedouin tribes that they have agreements with to raise their kid for them for like i don't know 10 years or something on uh, so he learns the bedouin lifestyle so that when he comes back and rules the kingdom not as a bedouin as a settled king but he's still a bedouin because he went and lived the life so um they're very intentional about they were very intentional about being bedouin on purpose now it's probably less there probably still is a little bit of that but not so much as it used to be. Um, and it's like, it's become that it's enough for us to know that we were or to know that what our ancestors did or to look like them or to dress like them or to talk like them, maybe to do some of the same hobbies, you know, the Falcon stuff, if you've seen that or, you know, those daggers that everybody has. But it's not... It's not uh, as um, mandatory anymore. Like, the, for example, King Abdullah, the current king, he didn't send his son to to, to the Bedou. He sent him to Madaba, which is like a Christian town. Yeah, sure. The <laughs> yeah. famous Madaba map that has Jerusalem as part of the mosaic, right? Yeah. So, and whereas uh, his, like Abdullah's great-grandfather sent his son to the Bedou for 10 years. And that's, that was the tradition to do. Um, and the Saudis used to do it and the Emiratis used to do it. Everybody used to do it. So now nobody does it anymore. The idea of the intentionality of the life, it, it's not necessary to maintain the identity. It seems to me that tribal identity, whether one is settled or mobile, 
is sort of the dividing line between mm-hmm. call it the, the Arab and the Arabized. If you can, if there is a connection to a tribal tradition and with that, what comes with that? What comes with being Ghassasana, right? If you're um, part of, you know, um, the Ghassasanate, right? The, the, the tribe of um, Bani Ghassan, what you know what makes that real right is it you know the uh, family bonds is it stories you know is it the way you speak um because you could say region too and region could be sedentary or mobile it seems yeah it's um for in the particular case of the in in especially in the Christian clans and the Christian families that belong to them. It's just stories now for us. Um, there are the Muslim, the Muslim side that they have kind of branched into multiple tribes or clans that in, uh, let's say, so probably mostly Southern Jordan, the Muslim mm-hmm. ones are, they, they are um, maybe more, uh, you find more vestiges of that stuff in their lives. Whereas with the Christian ones, they've urbanized more so. The story is still there. The story, I was actually reading it yesterday. Um, uh, it was the, the Ghassani, who is the father of eventually Qaqish. His name is Thagar al-Ta'i. al-Ghassani. That's his name. And so we just have the story and we know from the story not just of Qaqish, but all the tri- the clans that are our kin. So like mm-hmm. Hatim in Lebanon, Falluh in Syria, and etc. There's some in Palestine too. So we know that these families are our relatives from this Ghassani ancestor. Uh, but it's a story. It's just a Middle Eastern tradition that has been passed down orally. And there's no like text or anything to verify it. Um, What's interesting is uh, to know that this story, it's not, it's not disputed by uh, like the, the way that the way that these things are confirmed in, in this, this society is not just from the tribe itself or the clan who's talking, but the neighboring clans who, who confirm the information of this one. So we know that this is true, not just because we say it. We know this is true, for example, because we fought in battles with these other tribes. And these other tribes are telling us that we were doing this too with them. And we, like, uh, I don't know, like there's, for example, the battle of Safin the, between Muawiyah and Ali. And uh, 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 Marj Rahat also it was like the second fitna one between Muawiyah and Ibn Zubair. Like I would never have thought that Christian tribes had anything to do with these battles. Yet they did. They fought with the, in, in a way to be exempted from the jizya. They would fight in the battles. Um, so, uh, and then with tradition and time, you have later, obviously in modern times where you have maybe two tribes fighting each other. Uh, and my, and when I was a kid, I remember my dad telling me the stories of the tribes in Jordan, like uh, fighting, but they would make alliances. 
So then we have alliances that we've inherited with the other tribes that if someone attack, I don't know if that's still true. Like if, if we get attacked as a tribe today, which I don't think we would (laughs) or a clan. (laughs) Yeah. If we get attacked as a clan, does the other tribe remember that they have an alliance with us? Do we remember that we have an alliance with that other tribe? And it's, it's cross religious. It's like, yeah. Yeah. So uh, so I don't know. It's, it's wild. I mean, you've, (laughs) you've got these, you know, um, these ways of, of bonding people together that it seems like the, the modern conception of government now supersedes those. Right. And yet it's, it is those tribal fam familial bonds that really define, you know, the, the Arab identity. Um, when it comes to, this sort of interaction fighting, you know, battles over the, I mean, you've, you've mentioned some people that go back 1400 years, you know, or, mm-hmm. or more. So that's a long time. Do tribes disintegrate? Do they merge with other tribes? How do new tribes form and other tribes, you know, disappear seemingly? And can you maintain, I let's say identity, you know, if you're part of a, like, can you be a Ronin? If there's such a thing, you know, if your tribe uh, disappears, yeah, yeah, all of all of those are true. And um, the Ronin, the Ronin thing, it's funny. Uh, we call them bidun, which means without. Oh. Um, yeah. So there's a a few of them were the the casualties, if you will, of uh, the whole Iraqi Kuwaiti debacle that happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people got lost and were tribalists. Um, there's also the Beni Lem, which means you, I don't know if there's an Aramaic equivalent, but in Arabic, the verb is tlim, tlimhum, like you gather them together. So you make them a tribe. There are There's a tribe now called Beni Lem, so the gathered ones. There's, uh, there's also Lem, meaning a tribe that already exists brings them in for whatever mm-hmm. the benefit is. So after the, the Israeli-Palestinian thing in, in 48, uh, you would you would find that some of the Christian tribes in Jordan, Lemmo, they uh, gathered the, the some of the Christian Palestinians from, who were um, displaced into the, they gave them the tribal name so that they can have standing in Jordan. Uh, and the Muslim tribes did the same thing for the Muslim displaced, displaced Palestinians who didn't have a tribe. Uh, and then the, the agreement was, we're going to do this, but we get to marry your women and, and etc. Right? Like there's this kind of a, it's a trade-off. Um, it's like protection for benefits kind of thing. Um, so a lot of that happened a lot. So there's a lot of merging, a lot of annexation, absorbing others. There's uh, splintering of tribes. Like I told you, Bani Wa'il in Basra versus Bani Wa'il in Najd. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's formations of, of, I would, I don't know if I would call them tribes yet because they're not big enough. Like Kafish, for example, the biggest I can, the biggest word I can use is clan. This is the biggest yeah. word. Um, and there's like, there, there are clans who have become tribes, like Manasir in Jordan, very rich uh, tribe, for example. 
uh, who used to be, I can't remember the tribe they can't, they splinter from, but they used to be in a, in a, a bigger, a bigger uh, tribe there. Um, and there's also tribes that kind of shrink and then become just families or clans like Aduan, for example. So uh, yeah, history changes a lot of these things. What are some of the major tribes of the, you know, the various um, nation states that, you know, are, are running, well, I don't want to say running the show, but you know, who. That's fair. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. who runs things and, you know, how do they relate to the other communities? Sure. So it's uh, in the Iranian run Arab states, they make it re- they make it very um, they emphasize that that's not the case because of Iran, right? So uh, in most in the, most of the time that's true. In Yemen, it's li- it's complicated because that's literally all there is. So it's the Houthis. Um, in uh, in Jordan, there are a few main tribes, and they have the the kings back, and then the rest of the tribes are minor. So like. In Jordan, there's the Hawaiatlat, who I mentioned. Mm-hmm. There's um, the uh, there's another one in Karak. I forgot the name of it. And then there's Beni Hassan, Beni Khalid, Beni Sarhan. Um, these are these are all very big ones, uh, and they were important, especially in the 1970, uh, the Black September Civil War with the Palestinians, right? Because that once these guys like. Uh, decided to to get involved, it was over. Yeah. Um, so it, essentially, they're kind of keeping it. They they're keeping the government up. I w- I would say, if it's not for them, maybe there would be a revolution tomorrow. I don't know. Wow. Um, in Kuwait, in Kuwait, it's it's just, it's literally a city state. So it's just it's just uh, a few tribes there that have a nice life and. They're cool with the with the Emir. It's the Mpayri and, and others. Saudi also Mpayri, Duwaisar. Um there's also Hawaiat there, like I said, but they identify more with the Hashemite kingdom than with okay. the Saudi one. Uh there's Bani Harb, Bani Atiyah. So there's there's uh the Saudi, it's like a buy-in. It's like, are you a Najdi tribe who's buying into the theology? If so, then yes, you, you have the back of the king. If not, you're in submission. You're just quiet. You don't want problems. Hmm. Uh, with, with this new crown prince, he's taking a more secular approach. So more tribes are liking him because of that. Um, and uh, the Emirates too. They're, it just... Wherever the tribes have a happy life, they're they're good. They're they, they don't they don't think about running the show because they're happy. But in the case of Jordan, where there isn't that much going on, the economy isn't too good. They're making a conscious effort to mm-hmm. be to be uh, like front and center. Right, right. What about Iraq and Central Iraq? And as you go up the Euphrates, I mean, yeah. that's typically where our, we find the tribal yeah, they, region. They've been marginalized since Saddam was. It's funny because Saddam was against tribalism. At the same time, 
they liked him. Um, but now it's like you never hear about the the tribes of of West Central or Central Iraq anymore. Delemi and 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 those guys. Um, uh, I hear stories about them, how like hospitable they are or they were. I don't know, and and how good their food is. Just like the the typical stories we hear about the tribes in Jordan and everywhere else, the Bedouin, you know, it's typical Bedouin culture. Shammar and Mosul is a big one. It's, uh, there's been issues with that tribe because of what happened with ISIS. Yeah. Um, and I th- that's, a, that's one that crosses over into Syria. You have that same tribe on both sides of the border. Um, so in Iraq, it's more like, they're 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 alien a- alien uh, alienated is the word right yeah they're polarized yeah, right. big time from everything and I mean that could be a reason why the whole ISIS thing went down but um it didn't used to be that way you know I think the the inner Arab dynamics are something that we're kind of clueless to and. You know, is there a certain type of relationship that that um, tribal Arabs share that other mm-hmm. Arabic speakers don't? Okay, so and this goes back to the government, the the thing regarding uh, their power in states is that mm-hmm. they want they want a piece of the pie, right? So whether that's socially, economically, whatever. They uh, so they function as um, a unit, as a collective unit with a goal in mind. Uh, it doesn't have to be one goal or a specific goal, but they have, as a tribe, they usually have like this thing of. I don't know if you've seen it. Sometimes they'll show like on the news or whatever, like a tribe protesting something, and they always have this red banner or different red banners, and the red banners usually have. Arabic writing or some kind of symbol on it. And these are the rayat, they call them. Raya is singular. Rayat is plural. Of, of the tribe, like the flag of, of the tribe. Um, and it's, a very, it's very old. Like the Ghassasina one is still, uh, is still available like to see. And um, uh, they were doing it for a long time since battle. So they, they have this to show that yes, like we go to work every day as individuals, which we try to like sustain our families and all that. But at the end of the day, we're part of this tribe and this tribe's honor, this tribe's, uh, um, I don't know, like it's, it's trying to, uh, it's the, this tribe's historical struggle to become uh, great or greater to always be, be moving up and forward. So it's like if an example of Iraq, since you asked about Iraq, yeah. one time they killed, uh, they killed a cow of a tribe somewhere recently. They killed a, a cow. So the whole tribe did this big thing about these guys killed our cow, which surprised a lot of people because they didn't know like it was still like that, you know? And, um, and the government then, couldn't they were scared that this would turn into something big over a cow 
So they convinced, and, and the way that they the that tribe wanted it is they wanted the the reparations in the tribal custom. They didn't want to just get paid off and that's it. They wanted like a big gathering of the leaders of both tribes of the person involved, which that person was probably like, uh, like, I don't know, like I have to go find my sheikh or my tribal leader or whatever. And so they had this big thing where they're all sitting down and they bring the coffee and the whole, the whole custom of how to do the reparations regarding the cow, according to the culture. Um, which is cool. It's really cool. I like, like personally, I like that stuff. I think it's, it's cool. So uh, it's interesting that this has become the, we say in Arabic, the back of getting your rights in Iraq right now. They okay. had to go back to that because if you kill someone's cow in Iraq, what guarantees you justice yeah. if you're the victim? You know, that's a it's a you know great point because the going back to what we talked about earlier with regard to family confederation tribe you know these are extended familial terms but then they become political at some point because you have to have some way to organize a society and you know and if it's a, um, based on tribal structure you know it's maybe the rules in Baghdad are not going to be the same as they are, you know, in the desert. And so um, I'm thinking, you know, I want to witness this too, because I know of different local traditions uh, that correspond to things like, you know, Hammurabi's code, right? Mm -hmm. And things that we do have recorded in, in some way or another, you know, that, well, that's what village life is like, you know, and it, it seemed to have been codified at some point in history but it still lives on through the way that people organize and manage themselves. Um, and that might be something different than the, the European constitution or the European inspired constitutions that many of these communities took up, you know, when they were formed as nation states. Yeah. Um, you mentioned earlier something about, you know, when people were, uh, what was it, Luwo, they were brought in. Lem, Lemo. Lem, yeah. Lemo. Yeah. They were brought in and they earned the rights of the tribe. Like they could marry within the tribe and things like that. Yeah. If you marry outside the tribe, what, what happens? Does it follow paternal tradition? Does it? Well, if, if you are in, you're saying in the Lem. Well, whatever, I mean, either way, like, is it possible, you know, or is it like a, a love marriage or something that, Scandalous. Yeah, I mean, and... Now it's becoming that. Like I know a girl from the Laisi tribe, which is a, a big one in Iraq and Jordan. She's from the Iraqi side. Uh, she met, uh, someone from another tribe married her. Um, it all depends on the tribe's relations. There are sometimes tribes who are still fighting, like not maybe not actively. Maybe there's like a ceasefire, but they still they haven't come to peace yet. They're still in there's still animosity. In that case, it's going to be really hard. It's like a Romeo Juliet story kind of. Yeah, right. Like, yeah. Run away together. Um, so even with us, even like on the clan level or family level, there's still that situation. There's still those situations like uh, I can think of tri uh, clans or families where if I could say if I said to my dad or my dad's side, 
I want a girl from so-and-so, they would say, why? Why would you do that? <laughs> <laughs> and they, they'd feel like really uh, that they were settling if they went to go ask for a girl from them, from those people. Like they would be uh, lowering themselves, you know? Yeah, like, oh, you can't get one from your own tribe. You've got to go over. You know, or like tribes that are act- at least honorable in their opinion, you know, yeah. not those guys, you know. Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's some of this that's Hatfield McCoy, you know, sort of business where, I mean, one of the, the reasons that is given for that feud in uh, was it West Virginia, Kentucky area was someone's pig got stolen. Right. You know, and. And then you have these two families and, you know, their extensions going at one another. Um, so, but it, it's, it, it's interesting. I don't know. I mean, I need to get an anthropologist in, in for a conversation at some point too, because uh, it seems like a natural default to be with family. And then, well, a family, you know, like for Assyrians, Assyrians are village-based, right? Yeah. And so their village, their community, you know, it has its own um, inner workings and, and what have you. And uh, people will, they'll take, you know, brides from other tribes and things, but they, they basically, the, the, the bride joins the groom's tribe. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, you've got to have some kind of structure there, especially, you know, in these places that, yeah, we've driven, we've drawn lines, you know, across the map. And there is some kind of central government, but how does it relate to the way people work just at the local level, you know, and and what sort of autonomy comes with that? And I think one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you about the the Arab question um, was where the, the idea of identity fused with self-sovereignty, right. Mm. And autonomy. And I remember um, one of my archeology span professors, um, it was uh, Bill Deaver was telling us about, you know, the um, the Arabs they had encountered a long time ago, talking about the freedom of that life, and you know, the in Jordan they were trying to you know settle them and put them in houses and things like that. And so once all the houses were built, they went and they put the livestock in the houses, and everyone else went outside because that was the freedom that they could continue living, right? And like, what am I going to do in this? you know, four walled enclosure, like, what is this all about? You know? And um, yeah, the idea of, of freedom and self-sovereignty within the, 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 the notion of identity, you know, and um, this, it, it's a lost subject for us, for, you know, people in North America, Western Europe, you know, what do we really know about this part of the world? And um, you know, it's, it's very biblical in a way. I, I mean, in probably not in a way, probably in a hundred ways, it's mm. very biblical. Um, but beyond that, you know, there, there are other questions worth asking, you know, in our time. And what does it mean to, to be free? And um, what does it mean to not, you know, be free because you're bound by the ways, the customs Mm. of your community you yeah know, and yeah yeah um there's a this is a funny story i remembered uh there's a uh another clan in jordan from the same parts that 
mine is from. Uh, and uh, my dad and his brothers, when they would go hunting, they would have to go past this house to go to, to hunt. So they had a rule that because this is like the level of, of um, dislike that they had for like. And so whenever if they would ever see a member of that other clan on their way, they would turn back and go home because of how much bad luck that just seeing the person or seeing a member of that clan has upon them. So, so, yeah. <laughs> so I, uh, I told the story to my brother and I told him the name of the other clan. I didn't know he actually knows someone from that other clan. So he went and told them and then that they got so mad. It was, it was really funny, but yeah drama yeah well well thank you much for the conversation um you know i I think there's a lot of starting places you know but i I have a a better handle on it myself and um you know where i'll take it is in for the language side of things Mm. you know and and those things that we classify as arabic and what we don't um and why, you know, and, but what the inner, the inner um, conversation of, you know, how diverse the dialects are, you know, reflecting the communities that they, that they're attached to either in history or, or presently. So thank you very much for joining me in the conversation. Thank and, you. Um, thank yeah. You I appreciate it.